Palmer Bear on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmer Bear. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning to you, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. And some good news and bad news. Start of the week with a few people ending up in the water with uh, a couple of successful rescues, which is always a great thing from our emergency services and fellow anglers on the water too, Pat, isn't it? It certainly is. Dad and his twin sons, both nine, were rescued off Western Australia. They set out off Dawesville and a freak wave capsized the boat. Now, the boat sank in a matter of seconds um, and they were extraordinarily lucky because a VHF floated to the top of the surface where they were able to uh, call for help. But they were in the water for two hours. Mm. So Carl Priest and his twin um, nine-year-old boys, um, they are incredibly lucky and there's quite extraordinary uh, vision of this. Um, and, and we picked up ours off, off Nine News to Western Australia but quite extraordinary to see Redmond. And then it followed up uh, a few days later. It did in Mallacoota. Uh, a 23-year-old was fishing about roughly sort of six kilometres off a headland and his rod has ended up in the water, which he's then followed the rod uh, into the water to try and save the rod, but realising when he resurfaced that the boat was too far away to swim back to. So a little bit silly there, but in hindsight, he, thank God for technology because he had his mobile phone in his pocket, which are now waterproof, and he has <laughs> rang the local caravan park via Siri on his phone <laughs> and managed to call them who raced out and actually, basically, let's be honest, saved the man's life, got him, he was in 60 metres of water, let's be honest, off Mallacoota in Victoria, the water isn't off like it is off Perth at the moment, it's quite chilly. So they got him in, he had hypothermia, but he is alive and well, which is uh, great to hear. So like I said earlier, it's fantastic to have other fish shows out there helping out one another when in need, as it should be. He was incredibly lucky. I think Carl and his sons were were, were equally as lucky because he actually swam back underneath the capsized boat in order to trigger the, the EPIRB. And we've often spoken about the importance of having having an EPIRB on any boat regardless yep. of where you're going or how safe that you think it may be. So that enabled rescuers um, to know exactly where they were. But what you just wing. said there, Pat, was knowing where your EPIRB is. It's not going through the cabin and searching for your EPIRB. You need to know where it is. So mine is on the passenger side of my boat in a brace, which is in the hub. It's built well, – the the uh, the pocket, I guess, in the side of the boat is built in yep. the mould for, for, for my EPIRB, and that's where it is. It's got a purpose. It's not in a box in the cabin that could potentially float away. It's braced in. It has never I've, – I've I'll be honest, I've had the fire extinguisher with the brace that I've got when I bought the fire extinguisher has fallen out a couple of times, but the, the EPIRB will not move. It, they're lighter. They will not move. The, the fire extinguisher is, what, two and a bit kilo, so – when you're hitting big waves at Apollo. But I've only had it fall a couple of times in big seas where you don't want that EPIRB flying around your cabin or in a box 
in its box still where you haven't registered. So just register it. It lasts a long period of time. A little bit pricey. I think we reviewed them a few weeks ago. And if you do want to listen to any of our shows of Real Adventures, make sure you download the Real Adventures app. It's on any smart device. There's plenty of recipes on there, as we all love our food as well, Patrick. But like I said, safety, EPIRB, it's one thing you need to have ready to go. Let's talk about rogue waves and and managing that as a skipper when you're out fishing. When you know whether you're on a a fourteen foot boat um, or a you know six and a half meter boat uh, out in really significant yep. weather, what are the things and cues that you look for when they do approach? Because you've had uh, a really close call earlier in the year where you were hit by a rogue wave, um, but managed to maneuver the boat and attack it in a way. Um, that save you from capsizing. So for those out there, um, should it ever occur, and it's going to, if you're going to spend decent amount of time on the water throughout your boating and fishing life, you're going to experience different conditions regardless of, you know, how up to date you are uh, with weather reports um, and the like. It's just mother nature at times will will turn its back and you've and you've got to deal with the consequences sometimes. So what are you looking for when you're out on the boat and all of a sudden that rogue wave appears quite clearly keeping calm is is one point, but what are you doing with your boat in order to manoeuvre it? Because there's plenty of, of YouTube videos that we've seen, Redmond, where boats are turning around, running away from the waves, you know, the best course. Um to safely or as as best as possible safely maneuver the boat around these waves so just to clarify a rogue wave and where they often are a rogue wave so if you're in say 70 meters of water off bowen heads and you're fishing on a day like we had during the week it was a beautiful thursday we had i'm fishing there i know i'm 99 percent sure point probably 99.9 percent sure i'm not going to get a road a rogue wave out there it's a rogue wave it's not it's not going to happen it's not going to get a freak wave show up in the middle of nowhere for no reason on a calm day days where it's really rough like you got chop building on chop on swell you got to remember if you're fishing say apollo bay or portland and you're 20 30 40 kilometers out and you're in 20 plus knot winds chop will build on top of swell and you 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 add another meter of chop on top of a three meter wave of swell and it white caps that's a lot of power falling off a wave so realistically unless you put yourself in a place in deep water, that's when it can possibly happen. But to clarify a freak wave, it tends to happen in a place that, I guess, for, to give you an example, a place like the Port Phillip Bay Heads, crossing a bar at Lakes Entrance, Lakes Entrance Naruma, crossing the Barn River. Where it's, it's, an, it's an entry point often where it meets either shallow water or also a place where pressure is involved too. And what I mean by pressure when you've got ocean currents, so a place like Cape Shank or down off Eden off Green Cape, where you've got really, really strong currents meeting directional changes of other currents. And what happens is you've got water pushing against one another. And if you're in the bath sitting there with your soda up, uh, the soda that fixes your muscles, whatever that's called, Patrick, you know what that Lectic is. Soda. soda. Yep, sitting in the bath there and you push your hands together and clap them. What's going to happen? The water's going to throw up and hit you in the face. And that's the same thing as what I'm talking about around capes and tidal waters. Freak waves often happen in the same areas rather than in the depth of water that if you're just traditionally fishing. Port Phillip Bay, you're fishing the snapper in 20 metres, you're not going to have a massive freak wave just show up out of the middle of nowhere. And like I said to you before, often it's wind that causes it. You don't have the pressure in the bay, in the middle of the bay for snapper. But if you're fishing somewhere, like I said, off Green Cape, you're doing the kingfish and you're knife jigging and you're drifting around, you've got a nice 20-knot wind or a 50, even a 10-knot wind. 
and you're coming around the current and it's meeting another current, hence another example, Port Phillip Bay heads, it pushes up, it throws water, and it can throw a freak wave. So what I'm trying to say is a lot of this stuff happens where it happens rather than on your general area that a lot of people tend to fish. So it's more of your crossings and places like capes where things happen. Now, how to handle them, let's be honest, a freak wave, is a freak wave sometimes and you, you you could be unlucky and it could it could swamp you i could be out a day off barn river coming in nice and calm not concentrating properly and a freak wave can come up all it takes is a pressure wave to build coming in with off another wave or off a ship even and it builds and it throws a way up a wave up but once again it's in a place that you sort of know it could possibly happen so just be extra careful have your life jacket on it's a lot safer to do so now for instance, how to approach it. If you are approaching a place with a possibility, let's keep our nose to the direction that you possibly could happen. You want to keep your nose into it. You don't want to take it on from behind and you don't want to take it on from the side. Now, center consoles and other boats, obviously open boats are going to take on water more than a cab boat. That's just common sense. So how are we going to approach it? Even with a center console, whatever it is, get that nose so your nose gets thrown up. You want the nose because to throw you from top to bottom, is the hardest point to flip you. Side to side's easiest, and at the back, swamping you with a wave can fill you up very, very quickly. So be mindful when you're in an area, like Lake's Entrance, when you're going out to chase a swordfish, or even if you're heading out for a flathead, make sure you keep your nose into the direction that the waves tend to come from, and that there is how we always try and attack the waves and using power. So make sure when you hit the wave, you don't hit it 100 mile an hour and go bang and smash your whole boat. As you're approaching it, just push yourself up with the throttle, throw yourself into the air, make sure you back it off so when you land, you fall down comfortably. And that was what I did in the rip a few months ago, like you said. Don't like talking about it too much, but it was pretty scary that day. But that's what saved my life, by getting my nose into it, keeping it into it, and keeping my throttle up as I hit the wave and then dropping it as I landed. Let's take a look about What's biting around the country? Victoria, Lake Ilden at the moment, Redmond, there's been some huge Murray cod being caught. Sonny Martins, or his socials, is, um, uh, he likes to call himself freshwater prodigy, uh, landed a thumping 110-centimetre Murray cod, an absolute smoker. The Bem River is fishing really well with estuary perch being caught uh, primarily on soft plastic lures uh, and in Port Phillip Bay, Redmond. Yeah, whiting in Port Phillip Bay. Now, the reason I say whiting, we had some massive swell during the week, Pat, didn't we? Huge. You driving home from the footy club, you would have seen it each yep. day. And yes, it eased a bit now, but it was cranking. And once again, fishing down south, that ocean water's coming in, that heats up out there, fishing at the bottom end of the bay, fished really, really well. Western Port fished really well for squid as well on the outgoing tide once that sort of dirty water pushed out of it there's some squid starting to show up around the lonnie bite at queenscliff but the problem is that water you need that clear water and when you get in the whiting like we are you're probably not going to get the squid like we are heading over towards the border we've got mulloway in the nelson they fished really well this week uh you're approaching that moon so that moon always fishes well for the mulloway if you line up the right time and place now squid strips you can even run slimy uh, mackerel fillets even salmon fillets I find that they are a quite aggressive fish when they're on. You quite often don't get one or two fish. They're a bit like snapper. If they're on, they school up, especially in the Nelson, and they feed really hard. Squid strips is probably my go-to boat, though. Uh, go-to bait, sorry, it's not boat. Go-to bait, and the fish are well over that meter mark at times, which is really, really, really cool to see. 
New South Wales, uh, Port Hacking, and even Sydney Harbour at the moment, Redmond have had plenty of schools of salmon showing up, um, casting generally metal slugs or trawling around them with skirts. Been working pretty well. It's obviously been quite confusing for anglers uh, at different stages around the lockdown, around where they can and can't go. Uh, obviously, you've got to be uh, within five kilometres kilometers from your home, from your front door rather. Um, so if you do want or need more information, make sure you head to the New South Wales um, government website and you look up your fishing because they'll give you greater directions around what you can or can't do. And heading just over the border, just past Nelson, we're going to go to Port McDonald. Those big barrel bluefin tuna have showed up. Haven't seen massive reports from Portland uh, in the past few weeks, but the reason I say this, and Portland obviously being in Vic, but Port Mac, the fish tend to go there first and then make their way down to Portland. So it was this time last year where I was getting a lot of fish. So for those that can travel, do so. Uh, Port Mac is in South Australia, so make sure you stick to the rules and regs that you need to do with the government. But Port Mac, big barrel bluefin tuna, hopefully making their way to Portland for the guys that are in Victoria. And if you go just over to uh, into uh, the – sorry, if you head over to Wool Bay Jetty as well, Calamari Pat, hoods up to 35 centimetres – Pretty much sunset, sunrise. You're gonna get, you guaranteed your bag. Pretty much from the reports that I'm seeing. All honesty, look, get down there if you can because it's time of the year. Red hot fishing. Be smart with your jigs. Start with a size 3.0. If it's calm currents and there's no tide, maybe drop it off to 2.5. If you are hitting the bottom too quick, or even if you you aren't getting to the bottom because the tide's moving or it's a bit deep, just up it to three to 3.5. So just be smart with the size of the jig that you are using. Across the Bass Strait, uh, beautiful Tasmania, Weatia, uh, there's been some really large brown trout being caught, Redmond. Yeah, there has. It was one during the week that was caught on fly, which went 13 pounds, Patrick, and um, I'm not a pound sort of person, but even I know that's big, so <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cracking fish, so that's great. Teal bait, uh, teal bait, teal uh, bay is fishing really well for browns and rainbows as well, up to four kilo on small divers. And heading into the salt water, tuna out of the east side of the Tasman Channel, halcos. Skirts are okay, but the halcos, and we spoke with this from Chris Vasilevsky from Go On Fishing Charters, uh, well, it would be a month back now, and he said this year the brown, he called it the, what do you call it, the brown king, he called it, I don't even know if it's the real name of it, but any halco that's brown, he reckons it is dynamite, and it's working once again in probably the same fish making their way around the backside of Tassie there, Pat, but 25 to 30 kilo fish out of Tassie as well. So that's really good to see too. Wrapping up Western Australia, fishing off the rocks and Fremantle, seen plenty of calamari, uh, Redmond. Um, what about snap around there as well? Yeah, and if you're fishing off the rocks in Freo, getting those fresh calamari, if you get the right conditions, and you know we always talk land-based uh, fishing with the right conditions, you don't want to go there on a clear, beautiful day. You want If you can get a bit of onshore breeze breaking in on the surface, pretty much where you, you want to chuck your, your baits in. So what I'd be doing is as that squid comes in, I'd be nearly throwing – you could throw it in live. You can pull the head out, put the head on, or you can strip it up or ring it up. I'd be getting a bait in pretty bloody quick because the snapper fishing's been not too bad when the conditions are right. There's also plenty of tailor right around Perth at the moment, and we know that tailor aren't a fussy fish. Anything metal, grab a spoon out of the sink and put a hook on it. It'll probably catch you one. But let's be honest, they have sharp teeth. So super sharp teeth. So up your leader a little bit more than what you would for a standard salmon because they will bite you off quite often if you have that lighter leader and you don't want to lose that uh, 20, 20 or $25 bungee cast there, Patrick. 
We've got a massive show of Real Adventures heading your way this morning. Make sure you stick around. Plenty more to come after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for the Social Club where we take your questions from social media. We've got a real brand giveaway every single week. Fishing hat and top to give away for the best questions of the week. The first one is from Sarah. Hi, boys. My husband and I have just taken up fishing. We're useless, but we love it. Do you have any recommendations to get the hooks out of fish's mouths? We don't often catch, but when we do, we don't know what we're doing. Ta, <laughs> Sarah. Well, I actually got a very good one here, Patrick. It's called the D-hooker. Pretty like simple. That's what I, I call it anyway. Go to uh, your tackle store, your local tackle store. So we're talking your anacondas, your BCFs. Yeah, any literally anything. Like it should tackle even, world. Yep, any any sort of tackle store that sells any sort of tackle stuff will have it. <laughs> I hope that explains it because it's simple. You can get literally, it's a plastic handle. To be honest with you, the easiest way to explain it, get a coat hanger. It looks like a coat hanger at the end. Has a, yep. You can even just use a coat hanger if you want. Just make a smaller U-shape. And you just pull it tight and pull up and then pull down with the line and the fish just falls off. Now, I think the other I, thing you always want in the boat is just have an old towel or something. So if you're new to fishing, it's the easiest way to hold a fish without getting spiked or I think one of the first times or... you and I fished together about five years ago, I think I laughed my head off you when you pulled out a rag. I think I've still even got the video of me having a crack at you for a pinky that you pulled a towel out for <laughs> back in the day. But no, I won't lie to you. It does work, the old rag trick. But the D-hooker, seriously, if it works on big gummies. I use it on tuna. Like those big barrel tuna I get, they lay it on the ground and I want my hook back. I pop it along the hook and it just pops out. I use it for flathead probably religiously the most because it just literally pulls the hook out. And a good set of pliers, Pat. Like just a just a, not even a good set. You just want a long snouted set that you can get in there a little bit deeper if you need to. That also works really, really, really well when you're trying to get the hook out of a fish. Just make sure you keep the uh, WD-40 in the side of the boat because those things will seize up quickly. 20 uh, seconds. <laughs> Good on you, Sarah. Uh, deep diving lures versus shallow diving. How do I know what's best for tuna? I would love to catch a school tuna. Have tried and failed recently off Burmy. Uh, I've heard mixed reports from people um, around uh, what's best. Some say shallow, some say deep. Thanks for the help, Stuart. Uh, Stu, that's a good one. To be honest with you, whatever it says on the packet, it doesn't do anyway. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what some people can get confused with. You go, this this uh, lure is suitable for bonito, salmon, bluefin tuna, marlin, Maui Maui, every fish under the sun, flathead, dory. It's a good sales. It's a good sales marketing there, Patrick. It's good. It uh, even you know that what oh, that's actually a good point that you make. But even if even like a, a like a rubber parlor, I I use them religiously. They're a great they're a great lure, a diver, but they say they go to like 40 feet. Well, when I put my rod down in the water and it dives next to the boat, it ain't down 40 feet, I tell you that. But what I would do is I always, for tuna, I run them down deeper. I like my deeper ones. My shallow diving lures I tend to be casted. Does that make sense, Pat? Like, yes, it does. So yep. if you, you buy long cast sort of shallow diving uh like I'll say Rapala, like just because they're a fantastic brand. I would just, but it's, it's one that's it's a go-to for most anglers around. So they work really well. And once again, when you're trolling, run on a 
I actually match it to the size of the fish rather than the depth. So I'm not going to run a big Magnum 40 or 50 for a school tuna. I might drop it down to a 10 or a 15. And traditionally that's the feet as such they dive, but they are a smaller, smaller, uh, I guess, statue, uh, statue, for, well, what would you say a 10 inch, a 10 a dot feet pattern? Probably be only three inches, you reckon? Three or four inches long? Where those yeah. magnets are like eight. And I think some people get confused as well when it comes to fishing for tuna around how close you actually have the the lures to the yeah. boat. It, people look and go, that hang on, that no, like they're you're gonna be frightened off by the motors when um it's actually the opposite. You're trying to stir up the um the enthusiasm from the fish and you're fishing them close, Redmond, every time yeah. like, you know, you fish during the week and you've got them you've got them close. Yeah, so and, and a lot of it comes down to your day as well, Pat. So if you're on a really super calm day, I tend to run them back a little bit further from the boat because they can be a bit flighty. But if it's slightly rough, you are spot on, especially those big tuna that we tend to chase. We're often a little bit on the rougher side, let's be honest. Oh, yeah, your first lure is only a handful of metres back behind the boat at times. And your diver can be even shorter. It can be literally nearly touching your prop at times. So, it's yeah, you, you're exactly right. So don't be afraid to run them too closer to the boat than further than them back. And I find that your divers, the closer you have them to the boat, the more pull on it at the boat, the actual harder they sort of go. They, they dart yeah. around a bit more. Where if you let them back more, they tend to be more placid. And I don't know if that's a, just a perspective side of it, but it definitely, for me, seems the way that the little works in itself. So I, I would just be sticking to the size of the fish you're saying for the school tuna that you've said, anywhere from that 10 to 20, even up to 30 at times if they are feeding hard, but stick to that 10 to 20 for a regular catch, I should say. Good on you, Stu. Uh, hi, guys. Carpet or the new mod flooring that I see everywhere, like C-Deck and Ultradeck or similar, Carpet is so much cheaper. I'm not sure I can justify how expensive all the mod flooring is. Cheers, Pete from West Australia. I love my Mercury engine. I love my Mer- I love it. I literally love it. But I'll tell you what, I nearly put the flooring in before the Mercury engine because my feet at the end of the day, Pat, I tell you, it's, yep. it's, it makes a difference. That U deck that I run in my boat, it's – oh, it, you, I haven't got the best feet. To be honest with you, I've got pretty flat feet. I get, I get very sore in the feet. And I know you do as well, Pat, because with footy and stuff, you always got sore feet. Your toes are the ugliest on the planet, let's be honest. But it's it's uh, it's it's definitely much nicer on your feet. I think um, you make a good point because what what it is, it's a it's a foam layer that's glued to the bottom of your flooring, this mod flooring yeah. um, that Pete's talking about. Now, yes, it is expensive, but – if you've been out on the boat for ten hours and you, you know, if you, especially if you're barefoot, like you, I now nowadays I'll chuck my runners as soon as once we've got in the boat just to look after my feet. Um, it just gives you that cushioning that you don't get from other flooring. You certainly don't get it from checker plate. You don't get it from uh, your, your fiberglass flooring, and then your carpet. I mean, it, it looks nicer than you know, say checker plate, but it doesn't give you that same. And also um, the cleaning factor with carpet, and people will say, oh, how does it clean up? I'll tell you what, if I, if my floor isn't destroyed already in the whatever time I've had my boat, then no one can destroy it <laughs> because exactly. it doesn't smell either. Like I've had barrel hunt, blood everywhere through this, and it doesn't soak anything up. It doesn't. Where if you use carpet, not a word of a lie, you could be there 
hours and hours with Domestos. Domestos is a product that will clean carpet uh, to to the best that it will get back to, but you just can't do it, Pat. You just with you get. But Aaron, it is expensive though. It is. It, it is, is an and, and you are spot on. It is, system. It is. It is expensive. It definitely is. I think. Well, I think mine cost me roughly four grand for my six meter boat. So it is pricey. But if you're using your boat regular, yep. I'd be definitely looking at an investment, even putting twenty bucks away a week or something until you get up to it, whatever it whatever it takes to get it. I'd be if you're keeping the boat, I'd definitely be something that goes on the floor of my boat before, like I said, the engine. <laughs> All right, last one is from Bethany. Aaron, how do you stop squid from inking everywhere? I've seen it in your socials. My boyfriend, he looks to aim for me. Cheers. This could be from your sister, Beth, Pat, because George loves his fishing. <laughs> uh, it, that's a good one. I actually took a few kids out during the week with the ink, and uh, I had another fella who doesn't fish a lot, and he said to me, oh, there's going to ink everywhere. It's going to ink. It's going And I'm like, it won't ink. I said, I'll, I'll show you how to stop them from inking. They're like, what? So well, the first mistake people make with squid is they tend to keep it in the water. Well, why squid's in the water? It can just keep reproducing ink. So you need yep. to get it out of the water. And once it does that sort of initial ink out of the water, that te- without going back in water, that tends to be that ink that's lost. Now, when you get it up into the boat or towards the direction of the boat, so let's talk about an average squid, Pat. We'll talk about a nice 15, 20-centimeter hood. I tend to lift it up with my rod. So I pull it up and I get it out of the water, and you can hold it out with your rod, and then I swing it up to me. So just under half a lot, roughly half a rod length I'll have hanging out in line, and I'll lift it up, and then I'll grab the squid jig with my hands when it comes to me. Why the squid isn't in the air? Now, listen to the numbers here. 95% of the time, they don't ink. The 5% they do, it's often a faceful. But 95% of the time, they don't ink. You can hold it up for a photo, and they don't tend to go. But if you knock something, you knock the side of the boat, or if you knock the bait board, or if your young child tends to knock it with the rod accidentally, game over. You're done. It's ink everywhere. So it's when it touches something is when the squid actually inks. Hopefully uh, that saves you a few dollars at a car wash there, Beth. <laughs> Love that. Beth, well done. You are our real brand winner for this week. Send us a direct message and we'll send it out to you as soon as we can. Make sure you download our Real Adventures app to join in the conversation. Send us a question. You can do that via our app or, of course, via our Real Adventures socials. Plenty more of Real Adventures coming up after the break. Gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. It's time for gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. iFish starts in two weeks' time, September 5. Paul Worsling, the host of iFish, joins me this morning. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Patrick. Sounds like I need to be out fishing if iFish is on in two weeks' time. We've got fish to catch. Well, we're looking forward to it. So as you said, it's in two weeks' time. What can we expect from this season of iFish? Well, uh, based on current situation, it's been difficult to say the least, but we've still managed to get out there and do some incredible things. We're talking uh, massive southern bluefin tuna, 80 kilometres off Apollo Bay. Then we're 170 kilometres off Hamilton Island catching some of the tastiest and biggest fish you could ever hope for. And then just when you think it's all about interstate, we're back in yield and catching brown trout for 12 pounds and maybe even a trip to Bem River catching estuary perch and brim. So obviously difficult at present, but we are trying to make every little inch into a mile and uh, it's still been a lot of fun because we just love it. 
Speaking of the Bem River, uh, we saw on your socials during the week there was a few really nice estuary perch being caught. Take us through how you're fishing for those. Um, they look spectacular. Um, it's a great time to fish for them now if at all you can, depending on your COVID situation right around the state. But how are you attacking them when you went there and fished? Yeah, you're right, mate. The next couple of months is time to catch EPs. We tried a lot of things every time we go away working we always have every single base covered and we had shrimp under a float which worked extremely well live shrimp we used small hard body rapalas over the weed bed and even squidgy 80 mil bloodworm wriggler soft plastics and just about drifting just using the water snake snake along cast off plastics come with the stealth and every single method we tried caught perch which tells me the next few months they are on the job and some absolute beauty too one of the things that invokes huge passion with anglers are southern bluefin tuna. You mentioned fishing 80 kilometres offshore off Apollo Bay. You're basically in Tasmania. That must be a hell of an experience. My back has not recovered yet, and I'm dead set serious. My lumbar is killing me, and your crazy mate Red suggested this. We went 80 kilometres. I felt my breakfast coming up at one stage, and I just soldiered on. We hooked fish well over 100 kilos. It was just ridiculous. And we saw stuff and all of us just looked at each other. There was a million red bait and pilchers getting balled up. They were schooling. Seals are punching through them. Dolphins punching through them. Gannets diving from above. And then, then the massive whale crashed through the middle and took us a stack of fish, 100 kilo bluefin under them. And we just stared in disbelief. And the one word we said was, Adamborough. We felt like we were on a BBC documentary and forgetting the tuna, forgetting the fun, forgetting the mateship, I will never forget that scene of the whale coming through all that action. It was unbelievable. We have underwater footage of the whale coming through. It literally makes your spine tingle. Did you try your best version of a voiceover for the episode itself or have you just left that to the great Sir David Attenborough? Uh, the southern great white whale comes. No, I didn't. I did. <laughs> I did nothing. I just stuck to the fishing. For most people, when they think of Hamilton Island, they think of uh, sunbathing on a beach. It's obviously beautiful Whitehaven Beach. So you've got the Great Barrier Reef uh, and the snorkeling and scuba diving that accomplish uh, that accompanies that. Um, it's it's obviously a great fishery, but not something we always look to do first and foremost. It's almost a plus one in many respects because it's such a diverse region of things that you can do and adventures that you can go on. Take us through that. And you know, that is a great way of summing up Hamo. It, it's just a place to drink cocktails, one on the beach. But I've been fortunate enough to meet some incredible friends that know the fishing so well. And I've got a bit selfish in my old older days, I must admit, Patrick. I went on this trip just to share the experience with my boy. And unfortunately, we left mum behind. She couldn't come. There just wasn't enough room. And I spent four days fishing 170 kilometres of Hamill Island and I slept next to my boy in the bunk every night and he woke me at 6 o'clock in the morning come on dad and we fished till midnight and we caught some of the most incredible red emperor that broke hooks red emperor that broke 100 pound line largemouth nanoguide giant trevally I was having my breakfast one morning bacon eggs 12 foot sleepy shark while I'm having my breakfast it's just the sort of thing that very few people will ever get the chance to share that with their family their best mate the people they love and uh, the stuff we filmed, not only was it great television, but more importantly for me, it was stuff that my boy and I will just never, ever, ever forget. 
and I can't wait to go and do it again. It was very, very cool. We're chatting to Paul Worsling, the host of iFish. If there's one fish throughout the new season that you're looking forward to showing people, Paul, which is it and what capture is it? That's like saying you've got two kids, haven't you, Patrick? Yeah, well, I do have a favourite because George is yeah, which very, one's your favourite? George is very, very easy, and Hurricane Flick at the moment is an absolute nightmare. So you're not supposed to pick a favourite, <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I love it. Uh, look, it's it's. I've only got one kid, so I'm safe. Yes, the favourite and the least favourite. Um, <laughs> look, I think it's too hard to pick one, but oh wow, um, yeah. Oh, computer says no. Um, look, for me, every fish, the next fish is going to be the most favourite. The one I caught last is the is the most favourite. I think I think some of the stuff I did off Hamilton Island with Jet was probably the best, just because we got to turn the cameras off. We caught plenty of fish, and we just put lines down, having dinner, a couple of drinks, just chilling out, and we caught some red emperor that would push maybe the maybe ten kilos, and they're a special fish. And even for my editor, my editor Eddie and my producer come along. He didn't drop a line all week. And just before he left, I said, you boys have to drop a line. He dropped one line at the bottom, caught his first red emperor ever in his life, five kilos, and the smile on his face, that was possibly my favourite fish of the series because it gave something to someone they'd never had before, and that's pretty cool. Can I give you my two cents? Lake Eildon, giant trout. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, look, uh, I've still got a smile on the face, mate. Uh, we have a permit to film, and I, I've got to say we don't we don't rub it in people's faces because I actually feel bad. A lot of people are struggling a lot at the moment, so I'm literally working only when I need to get stuff done, get home. I'm not sharing any photos because I just don't think it's fair at the moment. But yesterday, Christy and I left home very early. We drove to the Eildon Pondage. Uh, we, we did have some advice that fisheries had stocked at the pondage with some pretty good fish, and the whole idea was set a picnic table up, cook a pot of coffee, cup of tea, snags on the barbie for lunch, and just enjoy the moment. I heard a great quote recently, you've got to be where your feet are. No point thinking about tomorrow or yesterday, be where your feet are. And we were where our feet were, and we caught some spectacular trout. Like, as good as you'd get anywhere in the world, they're stocked fish, they're brood stocked, but they're still special. And um, we drove home over the Black Spur last night with a very big smile on our faces because... Um, You've seen the pick, Patty. It was pretty cool. Can I just end end on that note of um, it's so important that it's great to see on iFish, but all these local community towns that you see great fishing at, they need the support of anglers going there and fishing and enjoying the environment, spending their dollars once we get out of this lockdown situation because it's been so hard for those rural communities, hasn't it? Uh, never a truer word said at Eildon yesterday. The bakery, we love going to Eildon Bakery. They said we're closed until COVID finishes. We did a piece to camera in the main street, the bridge over the pondage, the roundabout, at 4 p.m. You couldn't think of a bigger, and not one car bothered us for the 10 minutes we were there. Regional Victoria Australia, I was at Ben River last week, and these beautiful people, like the nicest people that ever meet in your life, they had a booking of 29 people from Knox that couldn't come to Regional Victoria because they couldn't leave the red zone. They lost $5,000 in income for one weekend. They get no compensation because they're in regional and regional's open. And you've got to remember, Victoria, we're one state. We're not metro. We're not regional. We are one. And every single person is hurting so much. And uh, you've just got to back and be ready when this finishes. Go to regional, buy a pie, stay the night, 
get some bait and just support because every single person I speak to, Patrick, is hurting in some way, shape or form. And uh, it's going to take a bit to get out of this, but I'm hoping that fishing and a bit of travel might help. Beautifully said. Paul Worsling, the host of iFish. iFish is coming out in two weeks' time for their all-new series. We can't wait for it. Paul, thanks for your time this morning. Thanks, mate. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. Redmond, we've seen over the last probably five to six years the increase in popularity around jet skis and fishing and fish skis as they've become affectionately known. And Sea-Doo really has controlled and cornered this market. They've got purpose-built watercraft specifically for fishing. And for the first time in 2022, we're seeing Yamaha starting to, to roll out fishing-focused uh, wave runners. So it becomes their sort of first proper direct rival to uh, the, the Ski-Doo Fish Pro range. Um, but what's different about this, and what I really like about it, is that you can custom make the shells and the structures that are on the back of these jet skis to suit the fishing that you like. So I read a fascinating article on boat sales during the week, uh, and they had some great photos um, around how they'll look and how functional they'll be. And the great part about it is it, it can all be taken off. So you can use your jet ski during the week for, um, you know, whatever it might be. And then when it comes to using it for fishing, you can then add on um, – it's almost like a, um, a trailer cage at the back where you attach your, your cool box and the like and it's got all your accessories, whether it be rod holders. Um, you know, there's even little attachments so you can have, a, you know, your fish finders and, and those sorts of things. So they're, they've hit the market. They're, they're not super cheap, um, but estimates early around that sort of 1500 buck mark once it lands in Australia plus all your other add-ons. Nothing in boating is ever cheap, so it doesn't really surprise us. Um, but it's certainly some um, some consumer-friendly competition uh, for sea which is good to I, see, Redmond. I was uh, speaking to the missus. I've got the new man at the moment, the new little fella. What is he, nearly a year and a half, not even. He's 16 months, I think. So I said to Kari, I want to buy a jet ski. I'd love to buy a jet ski, take him out. I'm going to get a bit older. And she told me basically no straight away. But... <laughs> It won't be sufficient, I'll tell you that, because I give these guys credit out there, these jet ski guys that are out there fishing. It's gung-ho. They are mad. They are absolutely mad. They're in wetsuits, half of them fishing. Yes. They're wet. They're traveling. Oh, I'd buy a tinny. <laughs> Speaking of tips from you, it's time for Red's Tip. It is, and it's just a little one coming on the back of live baiting, uh, using live baits and the like. So we're traveling down doing – oh, just – well, I filmed a show with Paul Worsling, actually, on Gone Fishing Charter's boat for iFish probably oh, a few months ago. And this is probably the last time that I did use this, hence why I speak about it now. But we managed to scoop up red bait in the water. Now, we use just a standard squid net to get them in, but that's all good, getting them into the live bait tank. But it's actually getting them out of the live ta- bait tank is the absolute prick of a thing because they are small and they are slimy and they swim. So <laughs> if I were you guys... Go buy a small aquarium net because you're not only going to not damage your fish as much by chasing it around the tank, jamming it and scaring it, put the net in, scoop your bait up, whatever you want, and you're able to place it onto your hook with 
with ease. Now, it also it looks, looks after the live bait, doesn't it? Pardon? It also looks after the live bait, doesn't it? Because oh, you're not shoving up. your hand in the in the tank, Swinging especially. Oh, mad. Yeah, especially if you don't have a really well set up bait tank that has great airflow. Every time you add something else into it, whether it be your hand or whatever, yep. it, it it the water quality you know starts to really suffer. Yeah, and with with your live bait as well, when you're putting them on. I always like to get a mate to help me because it's quite often with one hand, especially if it's a big slimy and you're chasing a marlin, always get – like when you're bridling, I'm talking about bridling a bait, you got to use two hands to get that Dacron or wax thread through the nose of the fish. So get your mate to hold it for you. makes it a little bit easier and a bit a little bit user-friendly. If you are going to purchase one of these nets, I'm tipping don't buy it from an aquarium store because they probably put 20 bucks extra on top of it. So maybe eBay. Go to eBay. You don't need nothing too expensive. I'm sure you'll get one for five or six bucks and it'll make a bit, it'll make a big difference. It's now time for the Flying Gaff, Patrick. Take it away. Yeah, the Flying Gaff this week. I, I wanted to give actually the Flying Gaff. Um, I was looking through the Anaconda uh, catalogue. I love looking through different catalogues and I wanted to give Anaconda the Gaff because they've got a, a metal detector, which I don't think anyone ever needs. But they've got them for a thousand and twenty nine dollars, and it it's a bit like me walking up and down the Bunnings aisles. I don't need anything in there, but I just like having it sometimes. And I have I no you were need. Say Aldi. Well, definitely Aldi, but I have <laughs> no. Well, the middle aisles in Aldi, they actually should be put when when everyone into lockdown. The middle aisle in Aldi would be just about the busiest place. COVID in central. the state, <laughs> absolutely, because everyone's going in there looking for things that they don't need. Anyway, the metal detector is definitely something that you don't ever need. Um, but it's just one of those things that's like, oh, I just I wonder if there is something on the beach there. Do you know who's right into this? A very good friend of the show, Sammy, Sammy Goodwin's old man. He ventures out going on his little gold hunts all the time, Patrick. So you might have a friend to go do it with if you purchased it. I'm not. Uh, my wife would kill me. <laughs> so I, I, I was going to give the gaff to Anaconda and um, – they're ridiculously cheap. I don't even know if it's cheap. It, it might be expensive, but it seemed cheap to me for a metal detector. Now, the flying gaff this week goes to you, Aaron, because earlier in the week you broke your foot and now, I did. like a, an athlete of the sea, you've been clipped and you are now walking around in a moon boot um, looking somewhat of the fool. So, well done, Coco. You, you haven't had a gaff for a while, but the gaff is yours for this week. I tripped over the jockey wheel. That sums up my day. <laughs> oh, crap. I'm going to take it. Thanks, thanks for your company this morning. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you next week on The Water. needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91